Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. As a parent, no two days are ever the same. At Care.com, you can find trusted and flexible sitters to help manage your family's ever-changing schedule. Care.com can even help you out with housekeepers, dog walkers, senior caregivers, and more. So you can find care for all you love. And 100% of caregivers who use Care.com have been background checked with CareCheck, a key first step in hiring confidently. To get the help you need to make it all work, sign up now and find a great sitter at Care.com. You want to go. Yes, go travel, go explore, go find a new city, go reconnect with friends, go have fun. That's why we created OnGo, the trusted rapid COVID-19 self-test. OnGo gives you accurate COVID test results and peace of mind in just minutes. So anywhere you go, you know. You'll know if you're COVID-19 free and you'll know you're protecting loved ones. OnGo is readily available at letsongo.com, Amazon, Walgreens, or Walmart.com. Use promo code ONGO15 for 15% off at letsongo.com today. From the team that brought you the big podcast with Shaq, it's the Big Shot Bob Pod with the biggest shooter in NBA history, Robert Ory. The Big Shot Bob Pod. Yeah, of course we're talking about hoops. Charles Oakley. We played him in the finals when we was the Rockets, and I dunked on Oak. And I kind of flexed on like, ah! Oh. And, uh, and Oak didn't do anything. I went down the court like this. <laughs> Ooh, I just man. missed a punch to the jaw in, boy. <laughs> the Big Shot Bob Pod is coming your way soon on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, LiveByLive.com, and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Guru, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Matt Moore. We are doing another Tears podcast, and I let him choose the criteria, and we have truly fascinating one this time. I'll let him explain it at the beginning of the pod, but it was a great exercise to go through, very different from anything we've done, and I hope you really enjoy it. Here it goes. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I love doing this with you. I love it as well, and I enjoy the the process when we kind of figure out, okay, we want to do one. I, I, I give you the choice of the criteria, and when you threw this one out there, it, it kind of tossed me for a loop initially, and then I'm like, okay, this is going to be very useful to get my head around, and so I'll let you walk people through it. So if we acknowledge that the NBA season is too long, or at least just definably long, which I think everyone can agree on, and we agree that through the course of a season, you're going to suffer injuries and absences. And by the playoffs, you're profoundly trying to deal with people being banged up and hanging on by a thread. And oftentimes, you're not playing the people that you intended to play at the beginning of the season. What teams are best suited to be able to survive that, Uh, especially in a season like this where – We have so many back-to-backs. The travel is so brutal. The COVID testing is wreaking havoc. We have COVID, uh, widespread COVID issues across the league that's messing with schedules and everything else. Who is best suited to handle a season in terms of attrition, in terms of you're going to lose guys? And who has the roster to be able to withstand that? Now, what I did not do here was be like, okay, if they lost their best player, how good would they be? Because that's kind of useless in terms of, one, most star players are pretty durable. That's what makes them stars. And then, two, it's not really fair to assume the star players are more susceptible than other players. It's more of, let's take the aggregate of if you were to lose – if there, you were to roll a dice and then you were to lose one starter or two starters, depending on the scale – 
Um, how many does it take to get you away from a certain level of production? It's tied to floor. It's tied to ceiling. It's tied to your identity. It's tied to your depth. And so I thought it would be an interesting exercise to execute. Yeah. And so the idea of rolling the dice is really the way I thought about it is that if you imagine that absences are randomized, not only in terms of who, but also in terms of how many, because, you know, we're seeing these teams that have like four and five players out at a given time. And so, so that means that depth matters, depth of quality matters even more and suitability of replacements. I mean, to, to the extent that you can have them. And I mean, the other thing is since this is tiers, that means that they're, you know, you're not, you're, you're grading everybody on the same scale. So it it kind of balances some of those things out. It's like, yeah, as you mentioned, like a lot of teams would be bad without their star, but there's only, if you're rolling the dice, there's only a, a, I don't know, chance X that, that, that is the person who's out. So for me, it, it it ended up becoming um, so I, I I had labels on the tiers though I don't think it perf- they perfectly tie up but so my fir- my tier one was actually only two teams and the way I described it was very good and deep but what I meant by that was kind of star deep and yeah. the two teams there for me were the Lakers and the Nets. The Nets are weird because their defense is bad and there are all these sorts of things. But unless like basically all of their stars are out, they're going to have a good offense. And so for me, that is a different version of depth. And with the Lakers, I have my concerns about them potentially as a playoff team. But they have already shown that they can do well when one one player is out. And they have a defensive foundation that I think is is very viable if, you know, LeBron or AD was going to be out. And then any of their other starters, they can just have they have plenty of good gap fillers. Yeah, so mine's only one, one team, and it's the Lakers. Yeah, I'm fine with so, that, too. Uh, I, I thought about having the Nets one tier down. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the Nets, I think, in, in the next section. Um, the Lakers, for me, it's a matter of if they have LeBron, they could still be the team they want to be. And there will be people that would, would rail, like, really, without AD? Yeah, I, there's a lot of evidence that shows that the lineups without AD are still great with LeBron. Uh, LeBron is the engine. LeBron makes everything go. A lot of this is also tied to what the kind of team that they built, especially the kind of team that Frank Vogel built. Because Frank Vogel built a team that has a strong defensive systemic identity. It's not they have one or two great defenders that can cover up for the rest of them. It's that the scheme is really good. They have personnel to execute that scheme. They don't have many, if any, bad defenders. Kuzma's been decent like un- in this scheme. Um, they don't have guys that you can really pick on. They just don't. And so... If they don't really have those kind of vulnerabilities and they could still be a defensive team, they have enough firepower built around them to be able to execute as long as LeBron is on the floor. And if they don't have LeBron and they had AD, uh, they would still be fine. So it's like they you would have to be without LeBron and AD in order for them to have no shot. And even then, I will take LeBron and AD over most of the teams in my bottom two tiers. Like the Lakers <laughs> yeah. without those two, I will take I will take without the teams in the yeah, bottom. Yeah, and, and there are ways without those two that they could get to viable offense. Defense could, depending on which personnel Vogel would choose in those circumstances. But yeah, and, and so I you convinced me I moved, the, I moved the Lakers into a tier by themselves. I think that's fair. And with the Nets, like the caveat of, oh, they're like their defensive limitations, like that's not fair if we're comparing them to the Lakers. I think that's fair to have them in tier two where nobody has that kind of perfect, perfect fit. But yeah, I think so. Lakers tier one by themselves. I am with you now. So let's go ahead and move to tier two. Um, I have five teams. Okay. And the Nets are one of those teams. I originally had the Nets significantly lower because their depth is so poor. They just, they traded everybody and they lost Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, you know, if, um, if they need other guys to step, like here, here's a good example of this. What happens to the Nets 
if Joe Harris gets hurt? But that's a really good question of what happens to if they're so dependent on offense because their defense is so bad. What happens if their crack shooter goes down and you can't you do not have somebody to punish the gravity that the stars necessarily draw from? I move them back up. Because inherently, it's more like, okay, sure, if they move, if they lose Joe Harris. But at that point, I'm talking about it in the same context as if you lose, like, the top star, right? Like, if you lose Kevin Durant or Joe Harris, like, this is what's kind of crazy about their concoction. If we were to go down the list of, of players that would be most detrimental to their loss, Kevin Durant would be number one without question. Yes. Um, the second for me would be Joe Harris because they have Kyrie and Harden who can both duplicate. This is one of the problems I have with the trade is it's a little redundant. You have Kyrie, who is not so much about the assists, but is very much about the individual scoring. And you have Harden, who can score, but in this system at least, is like passing his brains out. But you still have to have that other crack shooter to be able to hold up the whole thing. They're so weak at depth. If they lose, you know, I mean, look, if they lose DeAndre Jordan, who has been bad, like outside of the Bucks game, which is one of the reasons that that game is is going to be one I'm going to have to study a long time. I don't know what happens to them if they don't have DeAndre yeah. Jordan. The, the other so. reason, though, that I, I put the Nets in this tier is some of their holes are easier to fix. Like they can get a they can get a big off the scrap heap that I think will be fine. Like not good, but fine. But they can't replace Joe Harris. I mean that that's sort of, you know, like player who can hold up at least a little bit defensively and is a great shooter. Those players aren't just maybe they hit the buyout market every once in a while, but they don't hit anything else because they're under contract because they're viable players in the league. So yeah, I think that's a fair point. But then when you get into kind of some of the other teams, and so what's hilarious to me about this is like you, I think I'm lower on the Nets trade as a, as an overall proposition. However, I do think for this specific tier criteria, it helps them a lot just because it creates it creates a, a redundancy that's actually really valuable for this exercise because there aren't that many teams that if you took away a dynamic pick and roll ball handler isolation score that wouldn't be completely screwed and the yeah. nets would only be partially screwed and that's fantastic they have so many engines that are possible like harden and, and irving are not going to be the engines on this team it's still kd like if you watch the games kd is like the engine for everything but if kd has to miss a game those two can easily just take over that role and split the time so yeah I'm, I'm with you on that that's why i had to put them in the second tier the other four teams i put with them are an interesting amalgamation um the clippers sure the Jazz, okay. The Suns, interesting, and the Celtics, okay. So uh, I'll start with the most controversial there first. The Celtics are because we just have a lot of evidence that the Celtics you just can't kill. Like it doesn't matter what happens to them. Last night's a good example of this, where the pay, the Sixers ran away late in a game that they should have dominated because of their matchup advantages without Tatum. Like they just sh- they should have rolled over that team. But the Celtics just find a way to scrap. Like they are great in spots where they're an un- underdog. Because Stevens does coach a system in which everybody has such shared responsibility, the players on the Celtics do not have so clearly defined roles that they're unable to do things. There is freedom of choice in the Celtics offense and the skill sets available to do so. This isn't a deep team, but they also play in such a style that they don't need the talent to still be capable and so I, I kept the Celtics very high, and I think that, that where they're at in the season, given the weirdness of the season and everything else going on, I think it's kind of proof of that, that they will just kind of hang no matter what. 
Yeah, and um, I, I'm sure there are people who are disappointed by, you know, Boston, if we're using cleaning the glass, they're 11th in net rating now. And yep. But when you consider the greater context that one of their important players has functionally missed the entire season. Another one has missed about half of the half of their season right now. And they've also had all of these other absences, which have been weird. So if you if you want to talk about representative sample, I, I think that's fair. I have the Celtics in tier three, but I did seriously consider them for my tier two. Uh, the one I want to talk to you about that I think is interesting, and I think I know what your logic is going to be. I had them in tier three as well instead of tier two, is the Suns. Because the Suns are... They're, in a way, you could argue that they're sort of like a mini amalgamation of the Nets and the Lakers, where they're that you can remove pieces and they're still going to be kind of the same level of team. But I also think that the level of team that they stay at is just not quite at the same level. So I think part of it here is that their chameleon-like ability to win um, pretty tough games, as well as being able to win shootouts, plays kind of a big role here. Like, their top 10 in defensive rating... Um, their top 10 in offensive rating, they're 10th in both categories, right? So you look at their net rating and they're only eighth. But a lot of this is, if we're going to say like the Lakers are number one, because as long as they have LeBron, I think with the Suns, it's, you're not, you can't be as good as the Lakers, but if you have Chris Paul or Devin Booker and Booker hasn't even played that well to start the season, I still think you're going to be very good. They have, they have so many options. So like if Booker goes out, Paul and Aiden can eat you alive with pick and roll, and Bridges can hit enough shots from the perimeter. If uh, Paul's out, Booker, and they can just play an up-and-down, faster-running style. I love so many of, of their bench guys, the depth that they have right now, the two cams. Like I just love the way that the roster is constructed and don't see a whole, a whole lot of uh, scenarios where there's like – there's not – Bridges is maybe the one guy – as a floor setter that it's like if they lose him, that could be really painful with all the other interactions that they would have to go to. But even then, I think that they have guys that can step up and play. Um, yeah, I like their I've, front court rotation for in that context as well. That they and, and I mean, it's hilarious that they have all of these guards that I really like. And they that guard – so I like their front court rotation a lot with Cam and, and, and really everybody that's that stepped up for the Suns so far. And then in, in the guards, like if you lost either CP or Booker, they have, you know, Etuan Moore and Langston Galloway and Javon Carter, who aren't perfect players, but can step into larger roles, and you already still have somebody who can fill the largest role. So that that's why I said it was kind of similar to the Nets. It's interesting. Um, also worth noting, at this moment in time, there are only four teams in the NBA that are top 10 in both offense and defense. The Suns, the Hawks, the Jazz, and the Lakers. Wow. What a, what a group. What a group there. Um, Utah, I feel like it's pretty obvious, right? Just if Conley's out, Mitchell takes more over. If Mitchell's out, Conley runs more pick and roll. If Gobert is out, they do have favors and good defenders everywhere, and they have enough offense. Uh, they have shooters if they need offense. They have defenders if they need defense. They like they are very like they are just like the Suns. They have a chameleon aspect to them where they can win in a number of ways. They're not dependent on any one sort of style. And that style differential, I think, plays a big part in this exercise of like the Nets, for example, are so good because of their star power. But at the same time, if the Nets have to win a grind out, they're screwed. They do not have like if they were to lose offense like Joe Harris, they're really compromised versus the Jazz. If it was like, look, guys, we're just not going to be able to score as much tonight. we got to buckle down and play defense. They can and will do that. And if it's, you know, look, we're, we're just having trouble getting stops. we got to make shots here. They can ramp up the offense as well. I think that 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 kind of chameleon aspect is is really well. Did yeah. you have a, a 
what was your second tier? So my second tier has a lot. There is a lot of duplications, um, but not all. So I have the Nets, the Clippers, we should talk about in a second, the Jazz, and the one team. And this is maybe more just because I love Eric Spolstra so much. I have Miami yeah. here, which is wild when you consider the season they've had so far. Yeah. But the idea that... I respect their overall like their overall kind of defensive ethos, even though it hasn't worked perfectly so far this year. And because of the whole like if they actually needed to give more of a shit, they would. Like that that I that I you know, like the Dragic minutes have been overall excellent so far. And they've also missed a bunch of their players. I mean, they've already gone through some of these difficulties, you know, like a bunch of guys in the COVID protocol. And I think, you know, it hasn't been perfect. You know, the argument for me is sort of similar to the Celtics. And so you can maybe make an argument I should have those teams in the same tier for that reason. But I like, uh, yeah, I, but I think that Miami, it's, it's a more diversified portfolio to an extent. And, but they're, I could see putting them in tier three. I just had them in tier two. I think a lot of what, what it is with Miami, um, for me, I, I, with Miami, I'm basically at, um, you know, look, they have depth. They have some of that, that ability of the adaptation. Um, but at the same time, they just haven't been the same team as last year. True. And they just aren't firing on it as in many cylinders. The other thing I think is if – so the lineups with Drogic and Robinson and Butler have been so good that it, part of me is like, what happens if you lose a little bit of shooting? Like just what happens there? Because like, as you mentioned, like the defensive ratings are are poor overall. Um, like they're, they're giving up 110 with Bam on the floor, which yeah. is concerning. Um and 109.6 with Drogic and 107 with, with Robinson and all those and, are higher than you And expect. there was three point opponent three point shooting luck from what I recall early in the season, but that's yeah. largely evened out now. Yeah. So uh, I, I just want to be the biggest thing for me, honestly, is against kind of like the Nets in what happens if Duncan Robinson's out there? Like that's how susceptible are you to one guy getting hurt? That's not a superstar because it's like, OK, if you lose Jimmy Butler, honestly, it's like if they lose Jimmy Butler, I think they can survive because they did it last year so often. But I feel like if they lose Duncan Robinson, he's such a weapon that that really curtails the kind of team that they are right now. Uh, let's go to Clippers, and I want to get your thoughts on them. Having to like for for me, the the capable depth in the front court is is a very important thing. You know, they have a couple different center options. They have a lot of forwards that are you know fine that that can work, and then they have stars that can be the can be the guy, but also can fit with another. And so I think the idea of a randomized absence for them is you know it's it's sustainable also i have a i kind of i lean towards stars that at least have defensive capability for this kind of an exercise because then like yeah patrick beverly being out would you know and has been at times a challenge for them but they can make that work kind of on both ends of the floor they have a they have other options they have all these i have a couple of bench scores now with Kennard and lou will when they're available that can that can really do it so and and also the Clippers get the benefit, like some of these other teams of here, of having a high ceiling when they're healthy. So like if then they're healthy and they're engaged. And so that is a part of this exercise too, because yes, the injuries can happen, but it's how good are you when things are closer to together. So that, that's kind of where I am with them. But I'm interested in your thoughts too. So the last two seasons, uh, when Kawhi has not played, they are nine and eight straight up. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're six and eleven against the spread. By the way, good bet there that they lower their ability to just handle opponents because they're always usually a favorite. Still, uh, without Paul George, last two seasons they're fifteen and ten straight up. So they they've proven that they can win games uh, even without their star players. And that was kind of the thing is just for as many holes as I can poke with the Clippers and as infuriating as they are. And I'm actually higher on them this year than I was last year. I'm debating a division bet on them as we speak. I think 
their overall ability to hit you in waves is very difficult. This is one of the things that we've seen in these games where teams will kind of hang and the Clippers are just this wave that eventually overwhelms you. You let you let down your guard. You let the the, the sandbags break for a moment, and all of a sudden it's a flood, and you're just overwhelmed. You cannot hold the door against the Clippers, and that's like a big reason for this is that even if they are not at a strategic advantage over you, they will find ways um, to get those kind of things. A lot of it is. I really need to go back and calculate what their and I suppose cleaning the glass probably has the clearest indication of this, given that how much of that game was overtime or was garbage time. But that Mavericks game had to have nuked their stats so badly. Yes. <laughs> um, and this is in the betting world. The Clippers are really interesting right now because they've been infuriating this season because if you in prime spots, they've been poor. But in overall, they've been very good. So it's this really weird question of just trying to find, like, you know, are the Clippers really this infuriating? Or was it just the early season figuring out all the weirdness on the wonkiness of the season? I think that's where I'm kind of getting to is if we factor in the absolute weirdness of this season where the Raptors are 13th in the league in the Eastern Conference yes. right now um, and the Cavs are 500 and all of this weird stuff – we can look at and go, okay, um, the Clippers, if you remove the weirdness, the Clippers are as good as almost any team in the league. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's very fair. And also, you, you brought up the idea of that, that Mavericks game. And everything matters, but when that's one out of 72, it's going to look very different. And you expect they're not going to have two or three more of those than when it's one out of 15. And right. so that, that is, it is a factor worth kind of considering. My next tier um, is uh, I called it one exception, but really it's it's like I just felt a little bit queasier about it. Um, and we'll go through all these teams, but I'll I'll breeze it quickly. So the teams we've already discussed are the Suns, the Celtics. Um, I think that's all we've really talked about. The other ones, the Bucks, the Nuggets, the Sixers, the Mavs, and and I put the Raptors here. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Where do you want to start? Let's hold on the Raptors because you're gonna have to wait a while to get to mine on them. Um, <laughs> That's fair too. I was they were the hardest team for me to place. Let's start with the Bucks because they're one of my four teams in my third tier. Um, let's start with Milwaukee because I think it's really interesting in that if we did this exercise last year, or the year before, Milwaukee is number one no matter what. Am I? Are we in agreement there? Yes, absolutely. I mean, they were the they had depth the, the defensive. Like, I mean, especially when you think about last year that their mm-hmm. defensive the defensive philosophy how well they played without Giannis last year like all the all those all those elements were really strongly in their favor again from a, <clears throat> an interesting kind of like window into the into how teams are uh, i think betting sometimes provides these windows not all the time but sometimes and this is one the bucks if they were a home favorite of less if, if they were giving less than 10 points they were an auto play like if you if you could just not have to lay double digits you just took them no matter what because they just crushed it, people just crushed them if it was a division team you and it was under 15 you took it because they annihilated teams and their failure to do that repeatedly this season has kind of indicated that they are a different team this season and it's not just wonkiness and then it makes sense when you actually go through and you look at the lineups data and the quarter by quarter stuff and what you notice is the last two seasons the starters would annihilate you and then the bench would come in and they would add to a lead. And so even if you didn't get completely overrun by the starters, you were probably still down five to six points. The bench would come in and all of a sudden you're down 10 
and then the starters come back in and you're down 12 to 14 and so on and so on. And if they just broke the levy, it was like the starters would beat you by 17. The bench would beat you by three. And now you're down 20 and you haven't gained anything from playing the bench less, line. And you have less time to make it back. Right. And now it's entirely different where the starters are a mixed bag. Some nights they're winning their matchups and some nights they're not. They're much more. They are they're mortal. This is a mortal starting unit now. And the bench, which used to just be unbelievable, is now sometimes borderline poor. And so you have this real drag. And and so, like, look, if they miss Chris Middleton the last two seasons, I'd be like, nah, they're probably going to be OK. Like Bledsoe and, and Hill will probably have big games you know, they'll they'll find enough shooters. They'll hit enough threes. They'll be fine. And now I'm like, if Middleton's out, like there are very few. I don't know how many of the top tier teams I think the Bucks should be favored on the road against. Um, and if and that's not even Giannis. And then if we get into like Drew Holiday, it's the same thing. The numbers have been great with Drew, but not overall for the starters. That's what's been really weird. So there's all these kind of combinations that make you kind of go. The Bucks just simply are not as invulnerable as they used to be. Right. And one easy way of thinking about that is just how reliant, you know, the the core ethos, I would argue, of the Bucks in the Budenholzer era has been their ability to protect the rim, especially do so without fouling. And that used to be something they could do for all 48 minutes, or at least the minutes they cared about in a 48 minute game. They can't do that now. Like they have to go to different philosophies because they do not have the personnel to execute it. And that's, I, I think, a huge problem. Give me, give me the Raptors' case. I still believe in their defensive capability. I know that they haven't done it so far, but there's also some crazy, you know, like as you would expect, some some opponent shooting luck from what I recall. In that, I'm terrified of their offense. But I, you know, like I think that they can get to a a competent level there. I think they were like the league's worst half court offense as of a little bit recently. So, and I think they're extremely well coached, which I think matters for this in terms of their floor. And yeah, they've had they've I've, I would say they've had a disappointing season in terms of centers. Siakam hasn't been exactly what I wanted. There are a whole bunch of issues offensively, but they can. I, I also don't think they're so dependent on any single player that taking them out would nuke it. I think they're kind of about the same team either either way. This is one of the things that has been really telling for me is um, I looked at some second spectrum data. Okay. Okay. And one of the things that's that there are two things that really stand out when you look at the Raptors this season. One is that compared to last season, and this is no surprise, um, all of that um, amazing versatility that they showed the last two seasons in terms of they were such a they could hit you with anything that just isn't there as, as often anymore. Um, they just don't do that as much anymore. Um, they are much more of a traditional team this season than they have been. Uh, this season, they are pulling up right now. Um, they are 23rd, which is still low, but they are 23rd in the amount of possessions that they basically drop the big. So they play that way more than they did last year, where I think they were bottom two. Uh, second at last or second last this season they do that a lot more the other problem which is i think a little bit bigger issue is that they've really struggled they are giving up the second most points per possession against those possessions their drop defense has not been effective now that makes sense with the shooting right like all right you're gonna drop uh you're having to bring help because you know they're crowding in on the ball handler coming off of the screen uh, they're kicking out, and if opponents are shooting better than expected from the perimeter, then that's going to lead to some of these issues. Um, but I do think that there's something to be said for if you take it. The more concerning is like they're second worst. The Pelicans are the worst team in the league 
And the Pelicans primarily run two on ball. Like they are playing at the level of the screen almost all the time. There is all, there's a 60 picks differential. It's like three more picks per game. That's a huge differential between the Pelicans and the Raptors. So amongst the teams that are playing show, even in like the top 25, the Raptors are clearly the worst defensive team in that, in that aspect. And so to me, th- these are signs that, and, and like when I look at that and I go like, why would that be? And there's two things that can lead to it. Your guards aren't getting over the screens. And I do think that there's been a little bit of dip with Kyle Lowry this season. I agree. I, I think agree. I, I think there's been a little bit of a dip. He's just older. It's totally okay. And then Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul are gone. And that veteran understanding of space and footwork and how to, to play up and back. I mean, they had to let go of Alex Len. And I thought Len was good the last couple of seasons. Like, not great, not like above average, but not going to release him. Uh, and a lot of this Boucher has played so well offensively. But I do think that there's got to be some concern for, like, Baines has been such a bad fit, which is shocking. I thought that was going to be seamless. Same they just have really struggled with that scheme. Like they can't execute what they've wanted to, to run. And so that to me is a big reason why um, I have them knocked considerably further down. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. I, I think I'm just leaning a little bit on my prior still. But this is interesting, right? Like this is part of what's really fascinating is how, like for some of these, you have to be like, I know they're better than this record, right? Like I have I have heat in tier four. I'm like, I know they're better than this. Yeah. Like I just know that they're a better team than this. Um, along those same lines, another team in your third tier I would like to talk about, hear about from you is, is the Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, they are a challenge. I mean, I, I was thinking back to that game they played against OKC, I think that was Monday, where Jokic was demolishing all of the Lilliputians and they still couldn't stop anybody. And then eventually that's that same group did well to start the third and the game was over. Um the I mean, Jamal Murray having the type of season that he's had is has definitely like that that put a little bit of a damper in it and also, they, the bench has been better since they got Jermichael Green back because he's capable and they needed that kind of capability, stability defensively. But I still think, like, you know, remember, it's a, if it's randomized and they're losing players, Jokic is only going to be out in some of those circumstances. They have other guys, you know, like I'm not the biggest P.J. Dozier believer in the world. They have kind of superfluous ball handlers in certain circumstances, but those guys can play. So, like, Campazzo could step into a larger role. Monte Morris could step into a larger role if necessary. So I, I think of them as a team in this group where it's like, I think they're like, you know, they, they, they would weather most storms. I think that Mike Malone has been a good coach for them as well. And he's been a very, a very good regular season coach overall. So that's, that's kind of where I am. I still don't trust. I still like, I, I, I went under on them overall for the season this year. And part, part of it was because I didn't, I didn't trust their defense, but I do largely trust their offense. So you should trust their offense as long as Jokic is playing. Right. And that's the same kind of thing as like with the Lakers, right? Like as long as LeBron is playing. I think that there's a lot of interesting things going on with this Nuggets team. For starters, um, the easiest way I can explain it to people when I say they ask, what's your proof for that they're better than their record? I go back to, do you believe the Nuggets are better than the Kings? And almost everybody's like, yeah, they're a better team. I'm like, okay, they lost twice to the Kings in the first week of the season when they they're just they had no idea how to play together and Jermichael Green was out. Um, it was a mess. They lost once on, a, on an overtime buzzer beater. Um, if you take those two wins out, the season looks remarkably different, right? They're uh, they're nine and five, and that looks just different in terms of of the season so far. I think they're nine and five. I have I need to look at their. What are they? I thought they were seven and seven. Yeah, they're seven and seven. So yeah, nine and five. Um, they're nine and five on the season. And if they're nine and five, everything looks remarkably different. It's like okay, they haven't. You know, they lost the Mavericks close. The Nets game was at the end of a of a road trip uh, versus a hot shooting team. That one was close. Um, 
the Jazz are a tough team playing really well right now. That's okay. Also, like, Michael Porter Jr. has basically missed a month. Right. So if we're talking about attrition, like they're still hanging in there and their starting small forward has been out. Now, there's a lot of concerns. Yes. <laughs> and Michael Porter Jr. may not be a, a positive right now, given that like they started playing much better once he went out. But on both sides of the floor. But I do think that there's enough there to, to make the argument. I did drop them down. Um, they're in my tier four. Tell me your tier three again, because I think there's no mission that I have to ask you about. Okay. Um, Bucks, Nuggets, Sixers, Celtics, Mavericks, Raptors, Suns. Okay. There's one team that I think absolutely we need to talk about and has to move up. Pacers? Yes. Yeah, I think the that's Indiana fair. Um, I, because I, the, the, the reason I would say the Pacers have to is like we already have evidence that they can survive attrition. <laughs> like they lost TJ Warren. They're still getting big wins. Yeah, that's uh, true. Miles I have not goes out. TJ, that's true. I was account, I was accounting, which I did not do for Portland. I was accounting for TJ Warren as being out. And that's probably not fair. Yeah, if he's if we're counting him, which the way I did with Portland, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, I'm moving them up because that would that's not fair to grade it one way for one team and one way for another. Right. So for me, the Pacers are definitely tier three. I have them tier tier one on my initial run because I love the way that they've played. Like they got stomped the other night by the Clippers, which I think is obviously the biggest kind of takeaway you have to come come with there is like, man, Miles Turner may be a big deal. Yeah, um, like that might be the that might be the whole thing, right? Is maybe the, the the proof of of my belief in them being wrong is if they fall off a cliff without Turner, because then like he's that floor player, he's the Joe Harris of the Nets, where if you take away Turner, they can't get stops because their their impulse, and I get it is they want to just move Sabonis to the five. And I really dislike that. Like, I just think that you need to keep Sabonis at the four and move another big in as big of a guy as you can find into the starting lineup. Well, and Batatze uh, being unavailable for basically the whole season, that tied Bjorkren's hands a little bit. But we'll see if he actually tries it. So here are, the, here are the stats on that I just looked up. And remember, this includes full games because Turner has missed some full games due to that hand issue. Uh, in, in those minutes, in, in the non-Turner minutes, the Pacers have basically an even net rating. They're 115.5 offensive and defensive rating, basically right around there. And that's pretty good for your offense, especially when you consider that a lot of these are bench units. But that's pretty bad for your defense, especially because right. you're often going against bench units. Now, Turner's going to try and play through this because he's tough as nails. Yes. Um, and that's going to help, obviously. Just having him back, I think his presence will be good. He's not like the I don't I don't think that it's non shooting. Am I right on that? It's uh, yeah, I believe it's I believe it's non-shooting. Even if it's shooting, I'm still like they don't need him to be hitting threes. Like he could, just, you know, like there's enough that they could. They have enough offense they can get through. Well, but for me, point- I'm just like, look, you know, they're still good without Warren, who was so good for them last season. Um, they have so many ways to hit you. Uh, now, like they're also without Lavert now, right? Like yes, and, and that's like a big issue. Is like there's just no there's no way to know how long Lavert's gonna be out. There's it it no is way. it is crazy, and also. Like the Pacers, I talked about this in a fifteen sixty with Nate a little while ago. It's they are having a pretty successful defensive season by a couple of metrics. And like you look, oh, why, how am I saying that when they're fourteenth in defense right now? Opponents are making thirty nine point four percent of their threes against the Pacers so far this year, and that is right. something that is anomalous. And and when you look at it, so what, why I got so interested in this is you think about, and it's more on the the Pacers' offense than their defense. Like they've they've had these gains this year just by taking shots in better spots, and they've yeah. had some of that defensively too. That when you and you expect that the eventually the kind of the, the regression to the mean will will take on the shooting, and then this that will lead to them skyrocketing, especially when they can defend without foul. And we'll see how their turnover forcing changes now that Oladipo is in Houston. Um, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be totally fine there. Um, but yeah, 
I yeah, if if you if I account for it fairly with TJ Warren being kind of like he he is now being affected by this rather than being separate from it, then yeah, that's totally fair. They should be tier three, and yeah, I, I think if we're incorporating that, you could make an argument for tier two, but because their defense has fallen off so consistently when Turner's been off the floor, I think that makes them tier three. Uh, the other team that's missing, I think, from your tier three, uh, maybe not, maybe seven. Did you say the Sixers in tier three? I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the Sixers are my other tier three team. Where uh, if we're gonna take the LeBron thing of like is the, the Lakers thing of you got to have LeBron at least, um, like that's the 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 only dice roll where you're screwed. If the Sixers have Embiid, now Embiid's availability is always a problem. But we just kind of see, like, if they have Embiid and Seth Curry, they're going to win a lot of games. And I'm not a Seth Curry guy, but I'm being a convert this season. The numbers with Simmons, I think, are concerning. Yes. <laughs> like, there's a lot of indications that, like, the stuff with Simmons is bad. And that's, like, I don't understand that because Simmons, uh, I think, is one of the most impactful players in the league in terms of his offense to defense, defense to offense transition ability. But... The numbers have been bad, but Embiid has played at that kind of level. They have enough shooting. Doc has fixed a lot of their issues. I think they're playing lights out right now. Um, do you, they're rec- do you no. know? I, so I was looking up their – I filtered this on Queen the Glass. Their net rating when Curry and Embiid play together? Is it 19? Plus, tw- plus 23. 23. Yep. Like, That's incredible. Uh, they came through for me last night because I bet on them versus the Celtics without Tatum. And the biggest reason was they are now 8-0. and oh. When Seth Curry and Joel Embiid play this season, they have not lost when those two play. And then the Sixers negative eight point three net rating when Embiid is not on the floor, and that's a surprise too because I thought having Dwight would help. Uh, yeah. and there might, there might be some shooting. I, I I would need to parse those parse that a little bit more once we get a larger sample to see whether there's some real noise in that. But a lot of it's like Embiid's playing the way that he needs to. Do. I don't have faith in him continuing it, but until he doesn't, I'm going to keep him out. I could keep him pretty high. Yeah. Um. Let me get to my tier four because sure. uh, it's got a lot of the teams that you mentioned. I've got the Heat there. Oh wait, can uh, you can Nuggets. you first lay out your tier three because I'm not sure you went through it. We went through mine. sure tier three is Pacers, Bucks. Um, oh, I, I missed one. I'm sorry. Uh, tier three is Pacers, Bucks, Warriors, and Sixers. Interesting. So the Warriors, I'm just I, I am kind of like it doesn't even matter. Like here's what's crazy is I don't even think it's like Steph. Their bench has been so good. I'm just kind of like I they they are. Here's kind of the question: Is like, look, if Steph Curry is Steph Curry's out, can they beat the Clippers? No, or the Lakers? No. But if Steph's out, do I think that they can beat uh, the Kings? I do. If Steph's out, do I think they can beat the Thunder? I do. The Wolves without Towns? I do. Like this team, as bad as because a lot of it is just like I I know Kelly Oubre is not this bad. He's been better he the last couple of games. That's turning. Like he's not that bad. So uh, I I still very much like the ceiling of the Warriors where they have they're just they're playing really well together. This is a really well coached team. As much as everybody bags on Kerr's lack of throwing Steph into five hundred pick and rolls, like they this is this team continues to be better than it's better than it was at the, at the start of the season, and they are a sneaky under the radar very good team right now. And like we talked about with the Denver Nuggets, if you. And, and I don't say you throw out the baby with the bathwater for those for those two games the, at the beginning of the season when they got demolished on national TV twice by teams that are much better than them. But Draymond right. Green didn't play in those games, and you don't play that high a proportion of team of your games against teams that are that good. 
Like that, they're just you know, there aren't that many, you know, Bucks and Nets out there, and so they got they got just demolished without their best players. And so, yeah, you, I would say you discount that a little bit. And when you think about how their season has gone since that point, they have a lot of a lot of really kind of capable, nice things. They they aren't necessarily demolishing everybody, though they do have some nice wins. And they're not they're not really getting crushed, which is another another sense that you know there's a huge caveat of other than the times that they were at the beginning of the season, but. That is, you know, like that's something that I look at sometimes is like the how often does it happen that everything goes wrong for you? Like when they right. lost to the Pacers, yeah, okay, they lost the Pacers, but they lost, it, it, I don't think of it as like an absolute ass kicking or anything. Right. Um, my tier four is actually just three teams, and it's just uh, Heat, Nuggets, and Grizzlies. So Memphis is kind of proven. Like they survive without Jaw. That was like a lot of it. It was like yeah. they survived. They're without Jaron Jackson. They're without Justice Winslow. And I don't even know if you can count Justice as an absence at this point. But yeah, without he, he's, he's he's what I did with TJ Warren, which wasn't fair for Warren, but is for Winslow, considering it's been so long since he actually played. Yeah. So you just don't know if you're ever going to see him. So um, no Jaron Jackson, no John Morant. They stayed they stayed above they they stayed above water, and then Jaw comes back and they get a big win on MLK Day. Like yeah, you know, we'll see what happens because they've got contract tracing issues, but. Um, assuming they can get past this the way everybody else can get past it. Well, but there, there's this really perverse incentive thing here, and this is kind of what I think Doc was getting at with pulling Embiid and Simmons from that one game, is in some ways it's better to have a lot of problems rather than a few problems because yep. now they have all these issues, but they're also not playing. And right. so they're not they're not losing these games, which maybe they wouldn't. And uh, so I yeah I have I have the Grizzlies in my tier four as well and I think a lot of that is I've been super impressed with Taylor Jenkins and I thought he did a nice job last year but weathering storms is one of the most important jobs that a coach can do and how do you cobble together and the Grizzlies have a lot of kind of similar players on the perimeter but not creators and that and I was stunned at how good their defense was they were more. Well, Tyus Jones also rebounded a little bit, which is good considering how rough he was at the start of the year. But yeah, I've been exceedingly impressed with them so far. Yeah, it's really crazy that this tier is the Heat who went to the finals last year, the Nuggets who went to the the conference finals last year, and the Grizzlies who were just kind of like – like we're just going to survive based off of our coaching and depth. Like this is just like we're going to be able to to survive in here. Um, I I have a couple more here. So I have the Warriors who you had in the tier before. Um, So we we already discussed them. Um, and then the two others that I have that you didn't that you didn't mention are the Blazers because they're they're right now dealing with the kind of the one of the hard sides of the randomization of two of their three best players are out and I mean CJ was phenomenal to start the season and I I have a lot of questions about their defense but once we're getting into this tier it's like okay you can be fine like that 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 is allowable in that circumstance and then the other one is for me the San Antonio Spurs when you consider what they've done and Derek White who I expected to be their best player this year has basically not mm. played for them then like think that's it's al- along the lines of some of the other ones where like given the context i'm super impressed with what they've done i'm moving the spurs up based off of i forgot about white so i'm moving him back up into into tier five here uh based off of that assessment um the Blazers, look, I, though, I'm interested in, like, we could, we could have a conversation about Portland because yeah. they're divisive in this as well. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's good. It, you're right because I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine tiers in our little exercise. The Blazers are tier nine for me. Wow. Because, look, I think this is proof. Like, they're, they're not going to, like, they're not going to get wins with CJ and Nurkic out, you know? Like, they, if you lose, even if they, after they lost Nurkic, you knew, like, oh boy, like, this is going to be rough because 
and like Stotts did the whole like Canner's really underrated defensively, and then he got like blistered the next game. Um, I understand the idea of like CJ is like if you randomize it, and then like how good would the Lakers be without LeBron without AD? But I'm still like I still think the Lakers are probably one of the three best teams in the league at that point. Um, the, the Lakers have so many more capable players. Like if if we're being- yeah, and I just look they could they weren't good they weren't. They were above 500, but everyone knew that that was like – everyone knew that was a mirage, that they weren't that good. Like you can see – if you watch the games, you were like, oh boy, this is – oh boy. The, there's – the defense is bad. And the biggest problem is just that they're so vulnerable. What's interesting is the Nurkic industry, while terrible – and I feel horrible for the guy because he just keeps having these injuries. But moving Canner out of the second unit makes the second unit more palatable. <laughs> yeah, like, it does. Even when – like I'm not the biggest Harry Giles believer in the world, but he at least at least he takes away one of – like play the, the flammability of playing Mellow and Canner together. Yeah, it was the Mellow and Canner lineups. You can cover for Canner in starting lineups often because like – a lot of the starting lineups feature the best post-up players, and that's where Kander can hang, you know? And almost no teams in the in the regular season are going to be like, okay, so we're going to run 50 pick-and-rolls at Kander and just attack him constantly. But, like, their defensive scheme change where they're playing more up at the level of the screen, I have no idea what made them think that. I criticized them for years for playing drop, and then I kind of realized, like, they don't have any good options. Like, I they was don't. wrong to criticize Vanderpool and Stotts for playing drop. They can't play anything else, even when, when Nurkic gets back. Like, you just got to drop because you can't play these bigs at the level of the screen, and your guards can't get over. Um, so, I, I look, you know, GTJ, I, I think, um, has had a little bit of regression this year, but he's still pretty good. Derek Jones Jr. has played great. He's been he's been awesome for them. But Melo has turned back into what we knew that he was. Um, and and Covington's oh, offense has been truly terrible this year. Yep, truly, truly terrible. And he's making no impact on the offensive end. Uh, so, I mean, look, maybe well, I'm wrong, and they'll rattle off a win streak. They are always defiant. Like, I had a ticket on them to make the play-in in the right in, – before the season started. That was my, my, I love the play in now because it gives you a way to hedge where you're like, I don't think they're going to be good, but I don't know if they'll miss the playoffs. The, the play in is great. So I just plug them in at plus money to make the play in. Um, and I still feel pretty good about that ticket. I don't think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league, but if we're talking about attrition, like if they lose, if they lose Derek Jones Jr., what happens? Like that's where we're at right now. The, right? the other, so I, last year I demolished Olshay for his lack of, forwards and like basically the, the you know that they let they let Aminu and Harkless go and they didn't really place those and that's why the situation was so dire that they had to bring in Mello who who outperformed expectations and then and they they eventually did the base more for a Riza trade and then traded Riza for Covington the one that really got me going this year was that they really only have two guys who create I mean I guess Rodney Hood can do it at times like who who it's like you put the ball in their hands and I think they're going to create reliably create a good shot for themselves and or other people and that's Damon ZJ who are both phenomenal and yeah. I basically one of those things is like these two guys have been remarkably durable but they don't have anyone else and so it's basically like that forces starts to stagger them and all these other issues and so for me that's like why is Olshay one of his most defining characteristics is how much he believes in the guys he drafted yeah. and Anthony Simons has been terrible yeah and not having like they they did this they, they, like the Blazers at other moments in time, Olshay, have really had some fines on the margins. Like, I mean, Shabazz Napier and Pat Connaughton and Seth Curry, you know, like they've had all of these different players that like they found a guy off the heap and, and they and they did well for them. And then maybe they didn't do as well anywhere else. But they don't have any of those guys right now, especially not in the guard line. 
and a good kind of indication of of the record not being um, what you what it probably should be is um, the Blazers are eight and six and nineteenth in simple rating system by Basketball Reference with a minus one point five. The next team behind them is the is the Chicago Bulls. I'm, mo- I'm moving them down. System, so. That's it. You made it. You made it. Made a good argument. Um, cool. My so I yeah I had a small tier four and then I have a fairly small tier five and the, the way I put it is like these are still like capable teams so now I added the Blazers into this group my other two teams in this group are the Hawks and the Pelicans I just think their four is a little bit higher than the others the Hawks I mean they're very trade dependent but again the same issue we talked about before of like you can't pick a single player but I think especially they've had a bunch of absences already I think they've done an okay job and then the Pels. I vacillate on them maybe more than any other team. I mean, the Raptors are going to fight them for it, but I, I'm still holding to my prior, so I'm not wrestling as much. I still don't know what the hell to think of that team. How do you? I mean, look, I moved them down, uh, and the reason, the biggest reason is if Lonzo had proven to be a good shooter for the course of his career and was suddenly struggling, it feels different. Sure. But he's proven to be an inconsistent shooter, and now he's back to bad. And now you're like, was last year the good year, and now he's bad again? Like... Trying to figure that out, I think, is is really difficult. The only argument I can really feel for maybe moving them up is that I feel like, and this is you know this is kind of backed up by some of the numbers, that certain injuries might make them better. Like there are certain injuries that that, and I'm not saying that like you don't ever want anybody to get injured, but uh, look, um, like they had some good games with uh, Alexander Walker, even though his advanced numbers are poor. Um, but they, they mostly, I just think that they need, they need more shooting. They need more balance. But a lot of this is as simple as they're losing by 4.1 points per hundred possessions when Zion's on the floor. I don't know what, how you're going to like, how, how are you going to be a good team? If you're losing by four, if you got a minus four net rating when your absolute best players on the floor. And if you want to say it's Ingram, he's minus four as well. Like they can't, it's, there's very little that's working for this team. I don't like, this is my concern when, when they got SVG they have tried SVG is trying to take a young team and trying to make them into a playoff caliber team right now. And they're not there yet. Like they just, they tried to make that jump too early Two three years from now. I think SVG can come in with the same roster and would probably do a really good job, but they're just, they don't have the experience yet. And so trying to focus on defense and slow this team down and really try and like grind. This is not the identity. And I'm not saying that you need to like, I am, I'm fine with Gentry being let go, but there's gotta be a balance between pace and, and defense and they have gone too too far one way they don't have the shooters even with like they have the shooters in terms of like reddick's there and reddick has a terrible net rating uh to me like nothing is working for this team right now you hit on part of it but i want to focus on another part for the pelicans and i actually i guess i gave them some credit for this just because there is there is a way to fix it if van gundy wants to do it which is they're playing some really like flawed I mean I'll just say Jackson Hayes Jackson Hayes is not play is not an NBA level player right now and oh. relying on him and it's different with centers like the their point guard depending on you know scheme and everything like primary ball handler and center are the two things where if you are playing a non NBA player in minutes that count you are completely screwed because yeah. you there are so few ways, especially when we're talking about bench units, there are so few ways to paper over it. And this is the this was the long criticism of Jokic as you know, because he's so great on offense and limited on defense. But it's way more it's actually way more prevalent with somebody like Jackson Hayes, where if he's not reacting and you're you basically any dribble penetration is going to create a bucket, you can't stop anybody. Like that is that is there you can't solve that with 
something else. There isn't a there isn't a way to a way to do that. And especially Hayes is playing a lot of his minutes with Zion. Like those guys, you're going to have those defensive issues, and they've been abysmal offensively in those lineups. And some of that is going to continue. Some of that might be a little bit fluky. But I mean, theoretically, having a I don't know the 45th best center, the 50th best center in the NBA in those minutes, I think they would be a lot better. And then that raises you know then you start to get into some of those situations we talked about this before with the Bucks, where if if you if your backups aren't like giving giving the other team more leads, if they aren't giving them more latitude, maybe these things start to look a little bit better. But my biggest criticism of them, and it's funny because like I, Nate and I are in the process of, of prepping our regrades for the West 2019 offseason, and the Pelicans, that was when they did a lot of their most interesting stuff. The the way that I would describe it is the Pelicans have a ton of players that I would be very interested in if they were the like if they were on a team that properly well it was properly structured to take advantage of the, of their strengths and weaknesses and instead it's like all of those guys put together on a team that doesn't do that for any of them and so that's really hard to reconcile i've had a lot of trouble with that this is a good indication so with bledsoe on the court lonzo is a minus 1.6 scoring 108 uh, and giving up 109 when bledsoe is off the court he switches to a plus 2.8 lonzo does with a 108.9 better offensive rating and a 106 defensive rating. Now, a lot of that's like those are lineups without the starters, so the defense is playing a little better. The biggest thing here is just like Bledsoe Lonzo does not work as a backcourt. Like that's just yeah. that just doesn't work. Um, and it makes sense. You can just be like, well, neither of them are good shooters, so that's a problem. You know, Lonzo had been a good spot up shooter, and that would help those lineups. But I also just think that they're they're similar in some ways. Lonzo's a lot more cerebral. Bledsoe's a lot more athletic. But they're similar in some ways in terms of the space that they occupy and how they attack a defense. And the combination of them makes both of them uncomfortable. So, like, they just – if they traded either one for a better shooter, like, individual scoring offensive guard, this team probably gets a lot better. Just as somebody to take some of the load off of Ingram – uh, draw some defenders out so Zion can get some more stuff. I mean, Zion's killing it, but that's what's crazy. Like that, that to me is the most alarming thing is that Zion and Ingram are both putting up really good numbers and they just can't beat teams. That's a well, and that, kind of that's the the other one that the other one that I've been thinking about is the approach, the aggressive like sell out to protect the paint approach that has worked well for Milwaukee. It requires really three, maybe four basic elements. One of them is you're trying to reduce the number of attempts at the rim. You're also trying to not foul much. You're also trying, hopefully getting defensive rebounds. And then the other one, this is the one the Pelicans have failed at so far, is teams, you not only have to give up few shots, you ideally want to have teams not make that many of them because then you can run into some problems. So like the Pelicans right now, when Zion and Steven Adams are playing together, opponents are shooting 69% at the rim. That is insanely high. And so they're kind of checking three of the four boxes. But one of the problems is their perimeter defense isn't quite at the same level, so they're also giving up a little bit more there. And yeah, I think that that sixty nine percent is going to improve. Like I think they'll, I think they'll, it'll eventually probably end up in like the maybe like sixty six, sixty seven range. But that's still not great. And then you're, if you're not quite at the bucks and you're giving up a crap ton of threes, and the other team is going to make a fair portion of them, then that's going to be a problem too. So my tier one, two, three, four, five uh, has some interesting teams that we haven't talked about. Okay. I do have the Raptors. I do have the Hawks there. Um, I have the Spurs in this group, which is the re- biggest reason I think the Spurs, I can't put any higher, is they're well built for attrition. I agree, but I can't put them any higher because their ceiling is still not that high. Like, right. Yeah, they're, they're, still, like, they're high floor, low ceiling. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but the two teams I think they're interesting that I have added in, add in here are the Mavericks. 
Oh, yeah. I had them and in the, tier three. And the Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dallas, I think the biggest issue is just that it's just really crazy to me. I feel like they got better personnel and have gotten worse. Like, this is, like, what made this last year so weird to me is uh, I'm willing to be like, okay, Seth Curry really was that much of an impact guy. Okay, fine. Um, but they've, they're better balanced now. They can actually defend some and they just can't overwhelm teams with shooting. Uh, and they're just, it, it's really painful to watch. Like Dwight Powell's regression has been a big issue. That's been a huge problem coming off the Achilles. You have to feel bad for the guy cause he was really good. He was impactful before, but they, uh, Richardson's been out forever with contact tracing. I think that that's a big part of it, right? Like they need some, they need him to get into a groove to make up some of the shooting differential, but they cannot win with Luca and a bunch of good defenders. They need Luca and a bunch of good offensive players and maybe two good defensive players to have maybe the team that they want to be. And right now, like they're just kind of a mess in terms of that. And I feel like if they like Richardson's kind of proof where he's been out and they've really struggled um, and that's been a problem. And then uh, there's just all these kind of things where they're not great to begin with. And if they lose anybody that's not Luca, uh, obviously they lose Luca, they're screwed more, even more so than last year. But if they lose anybody, it's like, oh man, now they can't even get stops. Like they don't have a strength to rely on right now. So that's why I have them here. I relied a lot on my prior with them just because of, of the absences that they've had. I mean, Kleba's played about 200 minutes this year. Richardson's played 250. Porzingis is 150. And they don't have, and this is where you run into the real problems, and I think this is a fair criticism of the Mavericks, they don't have the players to replace it. I mean, Wessa Wundu is actually in the most used Kristaps Porzingis lineup so far. Yeah, That's not exactly great. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is playing a lot in those minutes. And Cauley-Stein, like, I still think the theory of Cauley-Stein-Porzingis could work. Not will, but could. But especially when you have all these other things that are out there. I mean, Kleba-Porzingis is my favorite combo that they have, and... Those two guys, I don't think they played together at all because Cleveland was in contact tra- has been in contact tracing this whole time, or in the protocols, let's put it that way. So right. it's I, I kind of want to give them latitude. Like it's you know we haven't gotten the sample yet, but yeah, if we're basing it, ba- and so and I think it's fair to say what based on how they played this year that I should probably move them down a little bit. But I'm I'm giving deference. Also, I think they're well coached, and that is a a tiebreaker of sorts for me. Is is how, how does how will that manage it? But there there are certain things that you just can't do. Let's talk about the Hawks a little bit because we both have them right around this level. Their you know their defense is still you know has has all has all of the concerns but they also like the hawks have been hit pretty hard with depth stuff i mean you have the all the all the injury issues with galinari and bogdanovich and rondo missed a bunch of time and chris dunn is still out and everything else so and capella missed the beginning of the season which which made certain things harder so i think i might be a little too hard on them but most of me is like no this is about right so a lot of this is um, their advanced numbers are hidden by how hot they started. Yes. They were just – they were lights out defensively. Uh, they were great offensively. They would just overwhelm teams. It was like this insane start, and all of my – the Hawks are going to miss the playoff futures uh, started to wobble, and I was like, oh, boy, I might need to hedge out of this. Um, but then – a couple of things happened. Two things happened simultaneously. Everyone on the internet has focused in on Steve Nash calling out Trey Young's grifting, which has resulted in a precipitous drop in his free throw attempts. The second thing that happened is John Collins started complaining. And since Collins started complaining, you can just tell that there's a lot of times when they're on the court where Trey Young is vacillating between screw you, I'll show you, and fine, you don't want me to shoot? Fine. Like, Young is playing a very immature game right now. 
he is shooting he has taken the second most shots from 30 and beyond behind Damian Lillard Lillard those are like low percentage shots but they are extremely impactful on the game when you hit them because of how much it's, it rattles the defense Lillard has a 45% effective field goal percentage before the game on Monday the Hawks or Trey Young had a 30% effective field goal percentage on 5 of 25 and he took a bunch in that game on Monday versus a bad Wolves team like it's bad um i just wind up thinking that young you know collins was frustrated and wanted him to play more of a team game gallo's been out and that's kind of a a caveat here but that's also part of the attrition thing right it's like okay if you're without a guy that's often injury prone what's the issue you know what what are you gonna look like um they're better a little bit defensively than i expected because they're letting deandre hunter and cam reddish play and both those guys are young but those guys are both gonna be really good defenders yeah they've been way better than i anticipated so far they're so they're really good um but overall i just feel like this team is always going to go in terms of how trey young is playing and young has not he's putting up great numbers but he's not playing in a way where you love when you watch him you're like i love the way he played tonight you're just like well this was good but I wish it's every game. It's it's kind of like that. And it so um, I can't put them I, – I think that they have to stay in this kind of middle tier in large part because if some of the players that provide them with a little bit of their floor are missing, I feel like things could get real bad in a hurry for this team even if Young plays. Like I don't think Young raises their ceiling so much that you could just be like no matter what happens, they're going to be okay. Um, and like look, with Collins on the floor, they're plus 10.4 this season. That's great. Um, but I just feel like if, if there's – if they have, if they start to get guys banged up, it can go south in a hurry. Here's one other quick thing to say on on the Hawks. They're currently sixth in defense. So if you go through the four factors, they're not forcing any turnovers. I expect that to continue. They're doing pretty well on the defensive glass. Totally reasonable. Fouling a bunch. Yep, that's about right. And so then what it's really hinging on is the most important of the defensive and offensive four factors is a, is effective field goal percentage. That is fueled primarily by the Hawks opponents missing a ton of three-pointers. Hawks opponents are shooting 33% from three. That's about 4 or 5% below median in the league. So if you get that back to normal, then a lot of this house of cards starts to fall apart. Maybe And, and you could say maybe they'll be gained somewhere else. But it's like, do I think that the Hawks defense is good? No. I don't think it's good. I think that it is. It, it might be better than terrible, which would be fantastic for them. And remember, they missed Capella at the beginning part of the season and all that. But yeah, I think that's where they are. I so for me with the rest of it, I um so so you have what? Do you have th- two or three more tiers left? Um, I have four more tiers left. I can go through them quickly. Okay, I have t- I have two. I kind of grouped everybody. I, I pretty much grouped everybody together, but two teams, which I said were both weak and shallow. So I, I below this tier of like the good teams is um, the Magic and Knicks just because like I just feel like the Knicks play hard. <clears throat> they do. The Knicks play hard. They're going to bring in every single game. They're not going to be great. They're and not going to be. They're great. actually more deep than I think. I mean, especially when you consider Alec Burks has missed all this time. Like they have, they yeah. have capable players. Yeah, I don't decent. love all of them, but they're capable. Yeah, Orlando kind of proved that as long as they have Evan Fournier, they're going to be pretty. Okay. They're going to be okay. Like Evan Fournier is the one floor guy. He's that hinge player where you can't. If you miss him, the whole thing falls apart because they don't have enough scoring. Um, they you know they missed. They are out now without faults. They're already they've suffered a lot already. But yeah, and they're player, hanging in. players they're gonna, who are out for the season, I don't count them for this exercise. Like especially John Isaac, where we knew he was out the whole year. Right. So like you know, but they've already kind of proven like they can hang in there. Maybe you can argue like, well, look, if they lose another guy, what happens? And that's fair. Um, like Vucevic is kind of their guy. That we're okay if he goes out. Yeah, they're screwed. Like any, like most players, team star. That's the same kind of deal. Um, but they're gonna they're gonna be okay. They won't be great. They won't be terrible. They'll be okay. 
below them are the Pelicans and Rockets, which are two teams I just have no idea what to make of them. The Pelicans because they should be better and they're not, and then the Rockets because I just don't I haven't gotten to see them. Like I we, we haven't seen John Wall, Oladipo, Christian Wood. Like I want to see that combo before I'm really able to to assess who or what they're going to be. My bottom two tiers are Wolves, Thunder, Kings, and Hornets. Bottom tier are Blazers, Pistons, Wizards. The only reason the Blazers is down there with the Pistons and the Wizards is because. Um, like I said, like the, they can't lose anybody else. Like they can't lose anybody else or they're going to be doomed. Um, the Kings should probably be in that lower tier considering how bad they are, but I'm also kind of like the Kings are going to be as bad as they are all the time. So <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter about attrition. Attrition doesn't affect them much. Yeah. My bottom group was the Pistons and the Thunder. And part of it for the Thunder is just that I could see Sam Presti just not playing the players they have that are actually good. And what's hilarious about OKC and the Denver game was a good example of this is that they are giving serious minutes to non-NBA players. And that's fine. I mean, like I, I criticize it for a team like Portland that is, or New Orleans that's trying to make the playoffs because that's a big problem. That's not what OKC is trying to do right now. So giving Pukashevsky time, giving Teo Maladon time, giving that's fine. Like that's it, it is what they're doing. And so for me, it's it, it, the idea that if they lose anybody who's good, then somebody else is going to have to step into the role, and they don't really have those guys. Also, so but um, I. We'll talk about this probably like at a future a future tiers podcast, but we both have the Pistons in the bottom tier. And when you consider how aggressively Troy Weaver spent, at, presumably at the encouragement of Tom Gores, like that is truly incredible. And considering that Jeremy Grant, it's not like the wheels fell off the wagon and everything's going terrible. Like, I mean, you could argue Killian Hayes being out has actually helped their possibility of winning games right now because Killian Hayes is a teenage point guard when we know how that goes. But also Jeremy Grant's playing legitimately well and they just they just aren't good enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jeremy Grant's on like Jeremy Grant's playing out of his mind, which credit to him for betting on himself. He thought he could be this kind of player and he is. He's absolutely a player that can get the kind of stats that he's getting. And I'm not dismissing that. Like he's gonna like he made a ton of money on this contract. And if he keeps playing like this, he'll get a ton of money on his next contract. But they're still getting outscored when he's on the floor. There's no there's very little impact there. Not by much. It's minus zero point three. They're basically even, but you can't win games like that. Um I feel bad because I think there are good players on this roster, but like Delon Wright stuck there, like just looks unhappy. Um the rookies have not, you know, Sadiq Bay has been okay in spots. I, I just I don't know who to look at on this roster. Like the biggest thing is just like Blake's it's just rough. It's just really rough. Um, I feel like they could probably benefit from shaking things up from like trade. I, I think Dimbaya can actually be a good player. Trade him. Um, I don't know if any like no team's going to take a flyer on Blake with how he's looked. And that sucks. Like that's a lot of this is like Blake is a lot of the salary cap and Blake's a lot of uh, the production. And he just it's just not there. His body is just wrecked. And that's a shame. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, they spent they they spent so much money on two guys that were nuggets backups last year and that's for most of the season until the playoffs and grants worked out and Plumlee still kind of mason and they just don't have enough guards they just don't have enough depth they don't have shooting um they're just not a very good team to to put as much money as they did into this team and not get enough ball handling and shooting is truly awe-inspiring because it's like i mean that's how you raise your floor like yeah if, if you want right. to go for certain it just the the, sh- the shortcomings that they have and yeah if if blake is totally healthy then maybe go in that direction i was having trouble reconciling the pistons even before killian hayes got hurt because it's like oh okay so you're simultaneously like playing this older guy that you're relying on to be like good and you're playing this teenage point guard who's kind of assuring that you won't be decent at the same time it was all weird 
Um, but there is this we- bizarre argument. This happens, I would say, like once every two years where the best laid plans fail so spectacularly that it actually works out reasonably well for them because – I would argue it's better for the Pistons to be one of the three worst teams than in that like five to ten range, which is I think where they intended to be. Um, even with lottery reform, it's just easier to build the base back up and to credibly go to your team and say, like, go to go to the owner or whoever and say, we need to tear this down. Where do you have the Bulls? I have them. So I have seven tiers. I have them in tier six, and I think they might end up being better than that. They've been so much more capable when they've had their like veterans that can actually play, uh, and that's yep. been very a very limited sample of this year, just because. Temple's missed time, Sato's missed time, Thaddeus Young missed a bunch of time. So maybe they should be tier five, but I'm just not all the way there yet. I'm, you know, like, I'm, I, the, as much as he's played better, the theory of Zach Levine and Kobe White as a backcourt combination for a team that actually wants to be good, I'm still dubious. Best team against the spread. The Interesting. Bulls. There is a lot of indications that this team is actually good. like. Oh I yeah, am, I think I think they're I think they have a decent shot of making the playoffs or at least making the play in. I, 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 I put in a ticket on them. I went ahead and bought. I went and got it because I'm getting a good number at it. Uh, I like this team a lot. I think this team is going to get better. As the difference in coaching is so huge. They've had, look. Think about what's going on with them. Contract tracing, huge issues. Uh, pretty tough opening schedule. Long West Coast road trip to open the year. Like there's just a lot that's gone against Chicago, and they have stayed very resilient. There is a toughness, and I will say this. Um, I've gone back and forth on Zach Levine. Didn't like him early. Liked him right before he got traded. Uh, didn't like him in Chicago. Love him this year. Love everything that he's done this year. He's passing when they're putting pressure on him. He's scoring at will. The work that he put into the mid-range has paid off. He's shooting well from there. That's a low-efficiency shot, but if you're going to be the kind of player he is, you need to be able to hit it, and he is. Uh, I love his passing. The defense is still poor, but the effort is there. I just, I really think that there's something here with this Bulls team. I think they're very close to being good. I think there's a distinct chance that Chicago ends up being what Knicks fans think the Knicks are right now, which is like a yep. like a totally a totally capable team. And and Cleveland might end up in this mix too. Of like, they're not the dregs, but they're also not like good. And that that isn't the worst place to be. And like, I, I there are a lot of guys on the Bulls that I like. And yeah, we'll have to see what uh, what Levine looks like in a couple weeks. I have been, you know, I have been impressed with the start of his season, and you you have. I'm I'm interested for where this is going with Chicago, and yeah, maybe maybe I end up having them a tier or two higher. I mean, and also if we were doing this as a different exercise, but yeah, they haven't they haven't gotten to put the pieces together yet. And what makes them different than let's say Orlando or some of these other ones is there is a reasonable belief that they can do that at some point, and remembering that we're only a fifth of the way through the year. Absolutely. Uh, anything else that we need to discuss? I don't think so. Uh, the Wizards are my absolute last team because I don't know how to evaluate them because they don't exist. The Wizards just don't, aren't, aren't an NBA team. I have, I have them they in don't. my tier six right now just because they have, I mean, Bradley Beal. I think that anybody with a, any team with a player that with that good, though they could trade him, can't really be lower than that. They're, they're kind of outside of this because I don't know how you describe them as an NBA team because an NBA team by its very definition plays games and they can't. So And haven't. Yeah. And haven't and will continue to not. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Pleasure as always. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at the Action Network. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at 
HP Basketball and love having Matt on and thinking about the kind of the versatility and resilience of teams is a very useful exercise when thinking about this unusual season and where things might be going. So I'm really happy that he, I wouldn't have thought of doing something like this. And so I'm incredibly happy that he did. And that's why I often give him that task because I think he's so, so excellent at it. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. Those are much appreciated and you can do it in any podcast player, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really wherever. Really do appreciate that. And since this will never come out on a specific day of the week, there isn't really a pattern to it. That is a great way to get the show. Also, word of mouth, extremely important. And another way you can do word of mouth is through reviewing the show, through leaving a rating, leaving a review, and again, the podcast player for choosing. For reviews, it's great if it's Apple Podcasts, but really wherever you can do it. it. It is much appreciated. You can also check out my other work. Dunked On is still going strong. One public episode a week, and then Dunked On Prime is four days a week. Just recorded a fun mailbag and launched a new, well, if the feedback is good, and it has been so far, a new feature in terms of like kind of odds making, which is really fun, and lots of gamers and everything else. My written work is at The Athletic. I'm working on a couple of 2021 projects and then did that in-depth breakdown of the Harden trade with Seth Partnow and Sam Vecini. That was really fun. And then Nate and I are doing the NBA cast on League Pass. We're actually taking the coming week off. Nate is going to travel, and then but we will be back the following week tentatively. Lakers Hawks, which is extremely exciting. You never know how things can change, but that is that is the expectation. Those will be every Monday, with the exception of the coming Monday. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny Larue NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you send me something, I will read it. That is a promise, and I'll reply if I can. Um, I tr- I try to, but I'm not the best at that. I I admit that, but I do read it. They go to a separate place. It matters a lot to me. And Twitter's too ephemeral, so that's why I tell people. People who go to my email and the people who listen get rewarded by that. So that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.